triplets and they didn't know it by Phyllis Battelle. Born in 1961 and separated soon after, the three boys each felt something missing in his life. Then, suddenly, they found out what it was. All his life, 19-year-old Robert Shafran sensed he was special. He had no idea why he felt this way, although he knew he had a near-genius IQ of 148 and recognised that he was an irrepressible extrovert. Adults sometimes sighed, Bobby, when they made you, they broke the mould. Bobby rather liked that. It appealed to his quirky sense of humour and strong sense of individuality. Yet he had a recurring dream about a kid who looked like me, talked like me and acted like me. When he woke from it, his feelings of being special were strongly reinforced. As a teenager, Bobby saw psychiatrists in an attempt to discover why his school performance was falling short of his obvious potential. Their conclusion, it had something to do with his having been adopted as an infant. He dismissed that theory, knowing that his adoptive parents, a doctor and his lawyer wife, gave me all the love and support I could ever want. And indeed they did. Bobby didn't say a word until he was four, says Elsa Shafran, now retired. But when he began to speak, it was in long and articulate sentences. Dr. Morton Shafran adds fondly, he was always precocious, but also restless and hyperactive. These qualities set him somewhat apart from the world, as though something were missing inside him. Last September, Bobby discovered what it was. He enrolled at a university in New York State. After he had checked into his dormitory, he went out to meet some of his fellow students. I'm gregarious, he explains, and I was saying, hello, how are you, to everyone in sight. Suddenly, some students were slapping his back. Hey, Eddie, how've you been doing? Bobby grinned. Fine, but I'm not Eddie. Sure you're not, you joker. Next day, the phenomenon continued. It got increasingly fascinating. Girls were hugging me and calling me Eddie, he recalls. He showed them his driver's license, proving he was Robert Shafran, but that left them unconvinced. One even told him where a birthmark was located on his body, an intimate spot. He was stunned. The second night, a student named Michael Domnitz walked into his room asking, Is this 11C? Yes. Are you? And at that point, Bobby turned around and saw his visitor's face go totally white. He just stared at me, stunned. Then he asked, Were you adopted? When I nodded, he asked when I was born and I told him July 12, 1961. Where? At Long Island Jewish Hillside Medical Centre. He grabbed my arm and said, Come with me, I've got to show you some pictures. They rushed to another dormitory, where Domnitz pulled out a snapshot of his best friend, Eddie Galland, who had attended the school the year before, then transferred to another university, nearer his home on Long Island. Now it was Bobby's turn to be stunned. What I saw was a photograph of myself, he says in a hushed voice. It was unmistakably me. I didn't know what to say or do. Mike Domnitz picked up the phone and began dialing. Eddie Gallant remembers wondering, when the phone rang at 9pm, whether it was another weird call from former fellow students who had been spending their allowances all day to tell me, hey, there's somebody here who looks exactly like you. Then Mike put Bobby on the phone. Bobby said, Eddie, I think you're my twin brother. 
I said very calmly, yeah. Then he said, listen, I've got the same eyes, same nose, same hair, and we were born at the same hospital on the same day. The two made arrangements to meet that weekend. But then Bobby decided he couldn't wait. I told Mike, I've got to see Eddie tonight. And we both got in my car and drove for three hours to the Galland home. At 2am they knocked on Eddie's door. It seemed forever, Bobby recalls, before the door opened. After that I said, oh my God, and simultaneously saw myself saying, oh my God. I scratched my head and saw myself scratching my head. I turned away and saw myself turning away. Everything in unison, as though professional mimes were doing this. We started shaking hands and wound up hugging. In the words of both young men, there was an instantaneous feeling of love. That early morning in the Gallant Lounge Room, the two brothers quickly noticed other similarities. Both smoked the same brand of cigarettes. Both liked Italian food and mellow rock music. But the first brief meeting was relatively superficial. We could hardly talk, Eddie says, and my dad kept taking our pictures. My parents simply couldn't believe it. After an hour, Bobby and Mike drove back to school. Later that morning, Bobby phoned his home and cried, Dad, Dad, I just met my twin brother. Dr. Shafran replied logically, An adoption agency doesn't separate twins, Bobby. Neither set of parents had been informed that their sons were multiple birth babies. That Sunday, Bobby and Eddie met again on Long Island and took turns recounting their life experiences. Both have a high IQ, yet each had had problems in school at the same time. They'd each had psychiatric therapy in 1977 and 1978 and been told their problems were rooted in their adoption. Both called that nonsense. They were similarly attracted to older girls and had serious relationships with women of 27. Their best sport was wrestling and they had the same favourite moves and fastest pinning time, 18 seconds. I discovered that whenever I'd had troubles, Eddie had had troubles, Bobby says. When I had excelled, he'd excelled. It was overwhelming. That was only the beginning. The Long Island newspaper Newsday heard of the startling reunion about three weeks after it happened and interviewed the twins. The story was picked up by the New York Post and the New York Daily News. On the day the article appeared in the Post, David Kelman, a 19-year-old university student, saw the picture of Bobby and Eddie. His pulse rate doubled. These two people were my mirror image, he says. But the story didn't give a date of birth, so I tried to keep my emotions low-key and inside until I was sure. That night at home, David hesitantly held out the post and said, Mum, look at this. Claire Kelman tossed her son a copy of the Daily News, which carried no picture but gave a date of birth, and said, Look at this. Right then we knew, David says. We looked up the phone number of the Galland house. Eddie was out, but his mother answered. I said, you're not going to believe this, Mrs. Galland, but my name is David Kelman, and I think I'm the third. That evening, David and his parents drove over to the Galland home. Eddie watched as the Kelman car parked, and yet another me climbed out and started up the drive. I opened the door a little, then closed it. I opened it again, saw his face, and closed it again. It was like a double take, a triple take. And the third time I opened it, David was saying, in a voice just like my own, 
I haven't seen you in 19 years. Don't slam the door in my face. Slowly, they moved towards each other. I can't believe this, they said simultaneously. Then, again in unison, I can't believe you said that, and fell into each other's arms. David pulled out his cigarettes, the same brand Bobby and Eddie smoked. Like his brothers, David had failed maths despite a high IQ, gone through psychiatric care, enjoyed Italian food, wrestling, older women, not in that order, and had dreamed he had a brother who looked like him. David felt euphoria and Eddie thoroughly enjoyed the night. We just kept talking and saying, wow, did you do that too? It was probably the first time in history that identical triplets separated in infancy have been reunited. Each child has been brought up in a somewhat different environment by working parents. The Chaffrans are medical and legal professionals. Richard and Claire Kelman operate a wholesale hardware business. Elliot Galland is an industrial arts teacher and his wife Annette is an executive secretary. Predictably, scientists have now flooded the families with requests to study the triplets. But the 19-year-olds are too consumed with their joyful, sometimes crazy, self-discovery to hold still for investigation. We have never been genuinely, intrinsically happy like this before, explains David. Give us a chance. The family's first priority was to contact the adoption agency and inquire why the boys had been separated. None of the parents was pleased with the explanation that, 19 years ago, little was known of the potentially harmful effects of splitting up multiple birth children. The triplets were said to be the last such infants separated. No one can be certain whether they would have had less complex emotional lives if they had stayed together, but the presumption is strong. We all had periods of being miserable, a lot of emotional pain, in spite of having terrific parents, says Bobby. Psychiatrists told each of us that there was some kind of emotional block. It is a rare, serious moment in an interview with Bobby, David and Eddie. Their eccentric sense of humour seems to combine the drollery of the early Beatles and the horseplay of the Marx Brothers. They often yelp with laughter, then change gears to calm, straight-faced conversation that invariably ends in one triplet finishing another's sentence. They confess they can be really wild sometimes when they're together, but they are trying, gradually, to settle down. David intends to become a businessman. Bobby, whose mother says he has been cooking since the age of four, plans to run hotels and restaurants. Eddie will be a doctor. They phone or see one another half a dozen times a day and meet often at one another's homes. They're all so happy, says Dr. Shafran with a smile. But they're rushing to make up for 19 years of being apart. They get a bit fractious. I only hope they won't let all this distract them from their education and goals. You can't make a career out of being a triplet. In spite of the wonder of finding our own flesh and blood, the triplets say they have no interest in locating their biological parents. There may be an underlying curiosity, but it isn't relevant, Eddie says. Bobby adds, a woman gave birth to us. We appreciate that. She made sure we got into good homes and we appreciate that. But we all have intelligent parents who cared for us, went through trials and heartaches with us. They are our real parents. Each of the triplets agrees with that. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. 
Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.